There was not even a hint of collusion between the president, his aides, or anybody associated with him. And so you take a man who's apolitical, who's never served in government and public office. He realized in his mind they were trying to destroy him. He felt that the good that he was doing was being overshadowed. Whether it's ignorance of the law or whatever you call it, they set him on a course to ignite the worst kind of acts that we've seen. Welcome to another edition of the Stromcast. I'm your host, Armstrong Williams. You know, the Mueller report is out. Attorney General Barr had a press conference uh, re, uh, refocusing his vigorous defense of the president. It's kind of interesting for the president to have an attorney general that he's not criticizing and condemning. They seem to be on the same page. You know, Bruce Fine, constitutional law expert, and Morgan Chalfant, who is a key writer for The Hill. In fact, she covered, she's covered the Mueller story from the beginning. You know, Morgan, what I was really struck by is how the president would give directives to people. Sometimes they were ignored, delayed, and then had no intention. Sometimes they found them laughable. And in many ways, the staff were protecting him. He did not realize it because he was so obsessed by this investigation, which he felt was a witch hunt in the beginning, which Mueller ruled there was no Russian collusion. But obviously, if you have the president of the United States, while Paul Manafort is going before the courts, dangling the possibility of pardoning him in public, that could be perceived as obstruction of justice. Obviously, if you ask your lawyer McGahn to fire the special counsel and then you ask the special counsel to say, I didn't say that, it was your idea, obviously that can be perceived as obstruction of God's justice. I've seen less offense of people accused of obstruction of justice and were found guilty. But it does show an interesting perspective of the White House. Absolutely, and uh, the Trump White House has never been uh, what we think of as a traditional White House, but I think it gives an interesting snapshot of, of the way that uh, the president's aides have defied him in ways that, as you said, protected him and perhaps you know, helped him not to get accused of obstruction in the end because none of these acts were actually uh, carried out because aides defied him or, or declined to do what he was asking them to do. Um, obviously, it's one of the big uh, storylines coming out of the report is this picture of the White House, and Democrats are certainly looking at the obstruction line as as their bigger point of focus now that the Russia portion of, of the chapter is kind of closed with Mueller saying there was no conspiracy between the campaign and the Russians. So I think that we're going to continue to be talking about what the president did and, you know, what his potential motives were, what his intent was behind uh, the actions in the report. Obviously, the president himself has really gone out and attacked, continued to attack the investigation, but also attacked aides who spoke to Mueller, suggesting that, you know, what they said wasn't true, that, that people shouldn't trust the notes that Mueller relied on to uh, compile that obstruction evidence that's laid out in the report. You know, there was not even a hint of collusion between the president, 
his aides, or anybody associated with him. And so you take a man who's apolitical, who's never served in government and public office. He realized in his mind they were trying to destroy him. He felt that the good that he was doing was being overshadowed. <clears throat> Whether it's ignorance of the law or whatever you call it, they set him on a course to ignite the worst kind of acts that we've seen. Uh, but still, his premise that this was a witch hunt turned out to be true. But does Schiff or rogue FBI agents or even people within his own White House do or even, I mean, another thing about this report, which was really shocking, was Obama, this happened on his watch, this um, Russian um, trying to penetrate uh, our election and trying to influence, and yet he did nothing because he was so bent on this nuclear deal with Iran, he didn't want to do anything to upset the apple cart, but he had more to do with the Russian and the collusion and all the things that were alleged than President Trump himself, way before Trump ever came into power. Well, I would actually disagree with you. Um, I, Mueller, you know, he didn't charge conspiracy, find evidence sufficient to charge conspiracy coordination between the campaign and the Russians, but when you read the report, it really does show uh, that members of the Trump campaign were interested in what WikiLeaks had, were interested in in those things. And, and the report states that while, um, you know, Mueller isn't charging conspiracy, it doesn't mean he didn't find evidence. But, but my point is about Obama had an opportunity to put a stop uh, to vigorously uh, push back on the Russians when he was in the White House, and he just didn't. His policies have been criticized by by a lot, especially conservatives. As, as Not just conservatives. On, I on saw a headline on CNN recently just lambasting former President Obama for his lax policies on Russia. One of and and, it, and, it, and, it, and for Susan Rice, his only national security advisor, telling his, the people to stand down. Right. And when they of, saw the evidence. And one of the, you know, the one of the criticisms, one of the biggest criticisms I think he's gotten is for not providing lethal aid to Ukraine, which the Trump administration has done. But I think that there is still a gap between the way that Trump talks about Russia and has talked about Russia and uh, the way that his administration behaves with respect to Russia. And I think that's something that people just need to acknowledge because it's... Um, it's important to know that his, the policies that his administration is putting forth are harsher than policies of previous administrations. But at the same time, you know, when you have him in Helsinki suggesting that he believes Putin over the intelligence community, that that in and of itself is, is another issue. And I think a lot of the reason probably why Trump behaves the way he does towards Russia and towards Putin is probably because of the Russia investigation. He sees it as, um, you know, a, a threat to his presidency, questioning his election. And I think that um, perhaps that motivated kind of the way that, that he behaved. So, Bruce, you read the report in its entirety. You can put all this that Morgan and I are discussing in, in context. What are your takeaways? The most important in my judgment is that the system worked. I don't think any other country in the world, you know, would have $25 million spent uh, on a special counsel who recruited people largely who were unsympathetic to Trump, who didn't have a single tactical or strategic decision interfered with or influenced from the outside, 
spends two years, looks up to every nook and cranny of, uh, of Trump's activity and his campaign management, it comes back and even the redacted portions were not made by the White House were not made by Mr. Barr. They were made by outside independent decision makers as to what was redacted. And most of it really doesn't uh, influence your ability to read the report and understand the basic narrative. Uh, and so totally uncompromised investigation of the highest and most powerful person in all of the United States. Now, that's an achievement. And remember, Mr. Mueller is not somebody who can be criticized for lacking a backbone. I remember he was serving as director of the FBI, and he went to Bush and said, I'm going to resign unless you stop this illegal surveillance. Remember the FEMS meeting with uh, John Ashcroft in the hospital. It was Mr. Mueller as director of the FBI said, I'm not going to have the FBI participate in the torture interrogation techniques of the CIA. He said, I'm not doing it. He pulled him out. So Mr. Mueller doesn't have any background that suggests that he wouldn't call them as he saw them. And in this particular case, he writes his, his report, never complained that anything impeded his decisions, including it was his decision not to call Trump at pursuant to a subpoena and try to depose him to try to supplement his interrogatory answers, which he styled as inadequate. Uh, that was a decision that he explained. It could be a long, prolonged uh, litigation over that. And plus, he said, we have enough on the record already to make a judgment here. So the process worked. And it also worked, I think, in showing, I, I think I'd have to part company with your characterization, uh, uh, Armstrong, on, on this being a witch hunt. 448 pages did not made out of thin air. There's a lot there to look at. That doesn't mean that every investigation culminates in a prosecution because sometimes you end up with evidence short of a criminal violation, which happened here. But there's no doubt that Trump and management administration were meeting with Russians. Now, in the middle of a campaign and when you have emails suggesting that the Russians want to meet with Donald Trump Jr. and Manafort and, and Kushner about giving dirt on Hillary, it looks suspicious, even though they decided it didn't rise to the level of criminality. Uh, and I say, <coughs> and, and the obstruction issues, I mean, they're genuine questions, even if you could disagree as what inferences should be drawn. So I think contrary to, uh, to Mr. Trump, this showed that this was a bona fide investigation. It wasn't concocted, but it resulted in how the system is supposed to operate or the people who were, had a, a level of uh, criminality prosecuted and those move on. Uh, the last thing I'd say uh, with regard to, to the report here, the whole um, issue of investigating a sitting president seems to me upside down. The, I do not believe if the department has a position, we're never going to indict or prosecute a sitting president. They should tell the House, then it's impeachment or nothing is basically what it is if you're going to try to remove a president. They should just tell the House Judiciary Committee or the House, that's up to you. We don't investigate the president. Our policy is we think it's unconstitutional. It's your business. If you want to subpoena the witnesses, that's up to you. And remember, I remember being involved in the Nixon impeachment. One of the articles of impeachment against Mr. Nixon was he refused to respond to a subpoena. That was a separate independent Article 3. So they have all the authority they need. And Mr. Mueller didn't work for the House Judiciary Committee. The executive law enforcement doesn't work for the Congress. They work under the president's aegis. And that's what makes this, the, the, the whole idea that the tr that, that impeachment should rest on Mr. Mueller's decision. He's not elected by anybody. Impeachment is a combined political legal, uh, decision to be made by elected representatives, uninfluenced by, you know, the, the executive branch or other people, and then be accountable for it. Morgan? I think, I think Bruce has made a lot of good points here. I think the impeachment question is one that we're, we're going to continue to ask. Um, going forward, I think 
Um, Democrats are in a tough spot. I think Pelosi has said that she doesn't want to get into impeachment unless there's some sort of um, big overwhelming evidence of wrongdoing by the president. Uh, some people, some Democrats have, have described the evidence laid out in Mueller's report on the obstruction issue as just that, big evidence that, that Trump took action to impede the investigation and called have called for impeachment um, proceedings. But I think that it's going to be a conversation that the Democratic Party needs to have as to whether you know, the House wants to do that. Because I think at this point, I don't see it being successful in the Senate. And I think that it's it's a real it's a real question that they're going to confront, especially as uh, more in the party want want to pursue impeachment with with this report. So what are the Democrats intending to gain by calling Mueller and Barr to testify, Bruce? Um I think with regard to Mr. Barr, they're trying to suggest that you know he was tilting his characterization of the evidence in favor of the president. Well, he works for the president. You know, he didn't commit obstruction of justice. Everybody can put different characterizations in some sense on the report because much of it is depends upon drawing inferences about motive. Uh, I don't really think that's going to go any place. Uh, it is true that there's some things Mr. Barr did that, you, that were kind of gratuitous. For example, he issued this summary of the report. Remember the four pages? There wasn't any regulations required him to say anything until he decided what he was going to release with regard to the final report. Uh, you know, he didn't have to hold a press conference before the report was released, but he wanted to set the grammar of the debate, if you will. But I, I, those are tiny things. I don't think they're going to get anything out of Mr. Barr. And one of the things I think he'll clearly be able to state is, you know, the president get, didn't get to redact anything. The president didn't ask me to remove anything. He didn't invoke executive privilege, which in some sense is a credit to the president. He understood he's going to get his hands burned if he tried to do that. With Mr. Mueller, I believe they're going to try to get him to amplify on the report and say, if he had an independent judgment and was forced to decide, they're trying to get him to say, yeah, this would be obstruction of justice. Uh, I don't think he's going to do that. I think he'll say, my report speaks for itself. It's not up to me to decide what's an impeachable offense. And I don't really think they're going to get anything out of Mr. Mueller. Uh, he's already had his full opportunity to explain his evaluation of the evidence in his report. What else is there to add? So um, in terms of this investigation, uh, it's just not going to disappear. Will it just linger or will it die like a, a Hurricane 5 and eventually just just... Well, away. Armstrong, in, in some sense, it's going to do both. I do think that in the short run, politically, I don't see it have a real traction in 2020. But in some, and part of it is because at least three quarters or 80 percent of the report, it's already been in the public domain for years. Leaked out, Washington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. We already knew about this. So there's nothing really dicey except maybe a few flamboyant sentences about my presidency is dead when Trump learns the special counsel is appointed. Uh, but I do think that it lives on with regard to deterrence. And this is what I think we should remember. No successor to Trump is going to invite this kind of investigation in the future and do what Trump did, in my judgment. Uh, whatever else it, it means, it's not a, not a comfortable position for the president to be in. He himself was saying it was distracting from his ability to move forward on other counts. So the fact that it was thorough and complete, I think, is going to be a deterrent. Just like I think the Nixon impeachment was, even though he wasn't ultimately impeached, he resigned and then received a pardon, to future wrongdoing by the, by the presidents. Um, to that extent, it will live beyond this particular day. Margaret, what about the media coverage of this? 
Well, I think the report does show that, uh, as Bruce noted, we knew about about 80% of this. So uh, the coverage of, of what Mueller was finding, I think, was accurate. Was it um, biased? I don't think that it was biased, but I would say that cable news, pundits, that a lot of people were talking about grand conspiracy between Trump and the Russians. And I think that he would be indicted. Right. And impeached. Or that people close to him would be indicted and that didn't happen. So I think those those people in a way kind of lost um, in the end of all of this. Credibility. But I, but I think well, possibly for some of them credibility, but also just I think a lot of, of people are saying what they want to hear. And so they're they're losing. And but we're talking about the media, though. Uh, we're pundits, I think, but in terms of articles, I think that the press coverage was pretty accurate. Um, I think that there are some some press outlets that are biased in in certain ways, but I think the coverage was pretty fair. And I think I think the report shows that a lot of the coverage throughout the investigation was accurate. Uh, it's just I think the one thing that's difficult and that Mueller's report does is it puts it all together. So you're not just getting a bit about something he found or here or there. You're getting everything and then also the conclusions at the end that he reached or didn't reach on obstruction of justice. So it provides a fuller picture of the investigation that you wouldn't necessarily get from, you know, one New York Times headline, one Wall Street Journal headline um, in the day to day. But I think the press coverage throughout the investigation is pretty accurate. And I think I think the press is, is seized on the picture of the White House that emerged from the report and, and the president has, has seemed to dislike that. But I also think that's that's the more interesting part of of the report, and it's what we really didn't know. Uh, you know, Barr's letter revealed that there wasn't a conspiracy charge, and a lot of the Russia portion of the report is is either redacted because of the ongoing investigations, or it's it's things that are already hashed out in the indictments that Mueller has uh, un- unveiled. Bruce, how damaged is the fourth estate? I think it's substantially damaged. I, I, I would just supplement what Morgan said by saying I do think that the media generally systematically drew the worst inferences from ambiguous testimony that you could imagine. It never said, well, you could infer X or Y. It was always damaging. Uh, and that they're permitted to say that, but you'd figure they'd say, on the other hand, you know, you could draw something that's more innocuous. It doesn't necessarily show criminality. Uh, so I, and I, a part of it, of course, I believe is projected because Trump himself calls the media, you're the enemy of the people. So <laughs> if you're a human being and you're called an enemy, you oftentimes want to strike back, uh, and can be equally, uh, condemnatory of, of the president. And I think that in some way, um, damaged Mr. Trump because he's almost gone out of his way to egg the media on to try to be biased, if you will, and then turns around and complains about it. I would make this one observation, too. Um, it, first, with regard to Obama, it's true that he did not react very strongly to the clear evidence that his intelligence community told him about Russian interference. But it's ironic that when uh, this issue arises about the sanctions later on that Trump, I mean, uh, Obama administered, remember, he got shut down some uh, premises of the Russians and he expelled some Russian probably spies. Uh, the Trump people and, and Flynn are talking to the Russians about, wait a minute, don't overreact. You know, we'll kind of take care of this. It was almost 
trying to criticize Obama f for taking the action, even though it was belated. I believe, uh, I believe there's a line in the report, too, that also says that Trump viewed it as uh, an effort by Obama to undermine his credibility or something to that extent. Overtures to, to Russia. Yeah. Uh, and so, listen, I don't really, I think we just need to remember that there are biases out there. I certainly would think that the, the so-called the fourth estate has had credibility undermined, but I think in some sense Trump is too. Uh, because there are statements that he made uh, that were false as well, like he wasn't involved in writing Donald Trump Jr.'s explanation of this meeting with the Russians being about adoptions as opposed to otherwise. It just means we need to have a public that uses their critical faculties to say, hey, we, we understand the source there, everybody's biased, and then make an independent judgment. The fact is everybody has ulterior motives in Washington, D.C., and uh, the public should be warned. Where, would, where does the president go now? I think that politically the president is much better off now than he was before the report, putting all the details of the Mueller report behind us. The fact is, as Morgan said, 99% of the Americans are not going to read the report. They just say, okay, they didn't charge him with a crime. He's vindicated. Let's move on. Uh, and I think that makes it very difficult for the House Democrats really to do much, if anything. I, my view is this whole thing is going to lose traction. In a couple of weeks' time, they'll have some witnesses up there. It's going to sputter out because no one's going to say the Judiciary Committee knows more about the investigation than Mr. Mueller. And if Mr. Mueller isn't ready to go across the Rubicon into criminality or obstruction, why is the Judiciary Committee? Uh, but I do think the report will play a role in the 2020 campaign. All right, President, didn't, we, we need to have a higher standard than just didn't violate criminal law in the Oval Office. Uh, and then the American people can make a judgment based upon the, the candidates who are running for president. I mean, to one degree, I think there's an analogy historically, uh, Armstrong. In 1798, John Adams passed the Alien Sedition Act with congressional approval, and he put a lot of reporters in jail because they supported Thomas Jefferson and Republicans. He, he did things that I think uh, even look like Trump's uh, treatment of the First Amendment is, is generous. Uh, but the election, but nothing happened in the interim. The election 1800 came in, Alien Sedition Acts expired. All the people were pardoned. We moved on. And I think the 2020 election will be a similar judgment of the American people about whether to vindicate the Trump administration and give him a second term or walking away and we need a new face. So, so Mark, why do you think this is something that's... Um very interesting that Trump's base has never wavered in their support of him, no matter the accusations. Mm -hmm. And I think that the results of the Mueller investigation will just invigorate them uh, in their support because the Mueller, the Mueller report and investigation does allow Trump to go out there and say what he's always said, which is there's no collusion. And, uh, you know, I, Collusion is, is kind of a loaded term because it's, you know, conspiracy is its legal equivalent. And obviously Mueller writes in the report, it's, you know, he assessed coordination and conspiracy. But the bottom line is, uh, you know, there, there were no charges unveiled against people in his campaign for conspiring with the Russians or colluding with the Russians, if you will. And that bolsters his argument and, uh, it helps him attack the media. Uh, it helps him attack the investigation, continue to attack the investigation. Uh, I think now he also has an attorney general that he appears very fond of and certainly has gone out and given the same message. You know, the Trump campaign was spied on. Are you surprised? 
Uh, by by bar or by yeah. the results? No, by the mutual respect. Uh, I, yes, I'm surprised. Uh, I think that uh, during the confirmation process for the attorney general, he seemed to subtly but but notably assert his independence from Trump. I think he said the investigation wasn't a witch hunt. It just seemed uh, that he might come in and be more of a, a independent figure, but he certainly has taken to the president's messaging. And I think no, that's you know, and it doesn't even strike uh, many as taken to the president's message. One thing you know he's not going to do, he's not going to lie. Mm-hmm. He will not say anything. He's very consistent. He seems to be very, he actually seems to believe that this is an investigation that should have never started. That's the strange thing. It's not as if he's afraid of Donald Trump of doing his bidding. He knows so much about that office. He's been there before that he brings this experience and he hinted this even before Trump nominated him. Yes. Well, I don't think that the relationship between uh, Mr. Barr and, and, and the president is built on you know personal loyalty. Right. Bill Barr has yeah. been around Washington yes. for a long, long time. I know because I, when I was a justice, he was over at the White House in a different capacity. And he has written endlessly about limitless executive power. He can go to war on his own, and he complains all the time, way before Trump, Congress is encroaching on prerogatives of the president. So this is totally consistent with his philosophy. He just defends whoever is in the White House. He's going to defend no matter what, because I just think that Congress shouldn't have any authority to try to meddle in this kind of stuff. Uh, So to that degree, at least it's principled, and we know it's not a personal thing. It does come across as very... Principle, absolutely. Yeah. But I do want to say this in closing. Two of the biggest um, losers in this whole saga, not to mention Manafort and others, is Michael Cohen and Michael Avenatti. All that work, Michael Cohen, all of it, Michael Cohen is going to jail. You don't even hear his name mentioned anymore. He really miscalculated because the Democrats used him. They used him to prove collusion. But even before, and if you read Mueller's report, even before Michael Cohen testified, they'd already reached the conclusion that there was no collusion. Bruce? Well, that's true. I mean, the, the Mueller people yes, had, but, but, people con- had. Okay, but they hadn't communicated that to Congress. And that, you know? that's the beauty of it. Yeah, yeah. They, they were not in contact with Congress, bri- briefing them, don't embarrass yourself, don't. Which is amazing. It shows the integrity of the process. Of the process, Morgan. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, Cohen is mentioned in the report, but yeah, he's not. Um, it, actually, you know, a lot of what there are portions redacted, but a lot of it is is what he told Congress in terms of the WikiLeaks conversation and all of that. Um, didn't seem like Mueller could could really back up what he told them. Right. But, uh, I mean, a lot of his testimony for Congress too, though, was focused on the campaign finance violation. So it wasn't necessarily uh, as much about Russian collusion or coordination. And if you remember, uh, Cohen said he didn't didn't know of any, but he had I, a thought that Trump may have known about the Trump Tower meeting, things like that. But I think that, you know, and I think you'll see this now to shifting more attention to what Cohen said or, or what's there about the campaign finance violation. That's one of the uh, 14 referrals that, that Mueller made that have kind of spawned out of the investigation. A lot of them we don't know about. So, uh, it's unclear how many of those actually have anything to do with Trump or, or if, or 
to what well, listen, extent they do. I mean, I, I'm getting we're getting carried away here with this conversation. It's so relaxed, and I feel like I'm I'm at home, like I'm with family today. Man, let me tell you. But anyhow, we gotta get out of here. This is Armstrong Williams for Strong Cats. Uh, Bruce Fine, Morgan Chalfant, first time, and uh, appreciate what you do with the Hill. And I'm Armstrong Williams. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.